0: All right, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is where we're going to be this morning. If you've got a Bible on you, if you turn there, if you don't have a Bible, there are people coming up right now who have Bibles in their hands. If you don't have a Bible, you forgot your Bible, if you throw your hand up, you can grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure throw your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. Just just take it home with you so you have a a copy of God's Word with you at home that you can read during the week as well, and turn to Psalm 16. Now, while you're going to Psalm 16, I don't remember this or not, on August the 5th, 2010, in Chile, 33 miners were trapped in a mine. Do you remember that? Do you remember the the Chilean miners? They They were trapped 700 meters below the earth. August the 5th, they're trapped. It took 22 days to get these 33 guys. It took 22 days just to get them food and water. And then nearly another two months to rescue them. So, so they, they're trapped, the thing collapses on them on August the 5th, and they're not rescued until October the 13th. Could, could you imagine that? Could you imagine? Here, here's one thing I know for sure that when those guys came up out of the mine, when they were rescued from being trapped under there for that long of time, as they stepped out into freedom, not one of them said, Hey, could you put me back down in there? And not one of them said, hey, I'm, I'm so glad to have this freedom and, and to see my family and, and breathe fresh air and have food and water, but I would rather be trapped. Could you put me back in the mine? I and mean, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yet how often do you and I do the same thing where, where we're lured into thinking that there, there's a better life, there's better freedom outside of Jesus Christ? We've been set free by God. We've been set free to a new kingdom. We're like, I don't know, maybe I could find freedom in a, back to where I was in captivity. In fact, we've been tracking this through in this series called, called The Kingdom Story. If you look, if you just look here where we've been, Here's where we are now, the kingdom life. But we we start at the very beginning where where God creates this kingdom, but this perfect, peaceful freedom kingdom and, and sin invades right away. And Adam and Eve decide, hey, thanks for the Garden of Eden. Thanks for this kingdom of peace and joy, but we don't trust you as our king. We think you're holding out, so we want to go after our own freedom. And what happens They pursue a whole other kingdom, and with this kingdom comes sin and destruction and anxiety and fear and distrust and anger and bitterness and sickness and death. What looked like freedom to them actually was a prison kingdom under Satan's rule, and Satan is a tyrant of a king. And so what do we find? We find as we kept going that, that a, a promised kingdom was coming. There was a rescue that was going to come. And we, we tracked it all the way through this king that was coming to, to bring freedom, to rescue those who are in captivity now in another kingdom. And, and then on Easter, last Sunday, we celebrated that the king is here, that, that the king, Jesus, that he, he died on the cross to, to pay the penalty for our sin, to rescue us from where we had run to, to bring us into the kingdom of life, that he took all of that sin on himself and he set us free. He took our imprisonment. He took our punishment, and he, and he conquered sin and death and Satan when he rose from the grave, and now we have freedom, and so, so here we are. We're, we're living this kingdom life in freedom, rescued from the kingdom of darkness, transferred into the kingdom of light, and, and that's the place. If you're a Christ follower, that's where you are right now. You've been rescued and placed in this new kingdom. You have a new king, And our hope and our happiness and our joy and our purpose and our meaning is found living in this new kingdom under the authority and the protection of this new king. But listen, Satan's still here. He's still luring and tempting and and his temptation is not to rescue us, but to have us believe that this, this new kingdom we're in, this new king we have is not a good kingdom. He's not a good king. And he says, hey, it would be better for you if you were trapped back down in that mine. No, he never says it that way. We're lured into thinking that it's, it's new life. And so what do we do? We, we pursue this new kingdom, another kingdom. God says, I brought you into freedom, but what do we do? We, we either run after other things we think will bring us freedom. We, we can run after sin and, and things that look great from a, a worldly perspective. We chase after those to find, man, they just lead to death and captivity. Or, or maybe, maybe we're, we're good religious people. We, we can go to religion and say this is where freedom's going to be. We're promised this kingdom of freedom, but we run to religion and says, well, if I do more and and I check off God's list because God is is up there and He's got a list and He's checking it twice and He's going to find out if I'm not. Wait, that's not theology. That's Santa Claus, right? That's not good doctrine. That that's not Christianity. That's not Jesus. That's not the gospel. Our freedom isn't found in pursuing religion. Our freedom isn't per- found in, in running from God. Our, our freedom is found when we come face to face with the living God. We're rescued, rescued from the kingdom of self into his kingdom. How can we come face-to-face with God? That's through Jesus Christ. What I want us to see this morning is this. Here's where we're going this morning is that we will come to that place to recognize that the kingdom we live in as Christ followers is this, that God is our safest refuge, that he is the greatest king, and that he's our supreme treasure. Now, here's the problem with that. We're not born thinking this way. We're not born pursuing after God as our safest refuge. We're not born pursuing after Jesus as our king and as our treasure. We're born in such a way, separated from God, not seeking his presence. We're not born going, man, I just want to find God. I just need God. I need him in my life. Well, what does happen is as soon as we're born, we are pursuing happiness we're, we're pursuing rescue. We, we can recognize pretty quickly, man, things are broken. This is not where, I, where I'm supposed to be. There's got to be something more to this. And we start to pursue happiness and joy and fulfillment. In fact, Blaise Pascal said it this way. He said, all people seek happiness. This is without exception, he says, whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end, seeking happiness. He said, the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both. He's saying the, the whole reason that some would go to war is because they think that's going to be a, a place where they can find fulfillment. And the, the reason the same, same wars happen that others will avoid it is because they think the same thing, that I'm going to find joy if by not going. He but the, the pursuit's the same. We're all pursuing happiness. Christian, non-Christian, everyone seeking joy and purpose and hope and meaning. And David here in Psalm 16 Look at verse 11, the end of the psalm. I'm going to ruin it for you, right? I'm going to tell you the ending before we get into it. Here's where David found his joy, his purpose, his meaning. Look at verse 11. He's talking to God. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He says, in your presence is the fullness of joy. Your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, I grew up in a church that would that would say that the problem in our life, the problem with the world, is that the world seeks happiness. So, so the answer in the churches I grew up in is stop seeking happiness. And if you looked at the people in the churches I grew up in, you'd say, man, they nailed it. Like, they have no happiness at all. They are doing so, they've been baptized in lemon juice. And they got it covered, man, like they... I always say, like people, people I was growing up in church, where they would say, "I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart." Yeah, you need to send missionaries from your heart to your face, because your face does not show it at all, right? And what do we say? We're, we're saying that the, the pursuit of happiness is the problem. Listen, that's not the problem. The problem is not that we pursue happiness. We were hardwired to do that, to seek after joy. The problem is where we look for it. The problem of seeking joy is not the problem. It's, it's where we go to try to find it. And we serve a king who's saying, Listen, in my presence, follow me in my kingdom. You will have abounding joy. I love that. Not, not just a, a couple moments of joy, not just, hey, a few days of joy. What did he say? He says, Joy forevermore. Now, you can probably say, Well, that's, that's easy for David to say. I mean, David's a king obviously that guy could have joy. Obviously he could write about joy. His life was probably going along just perfectly. My life's not as easy as David's life. And yet, yet we don't know when David wrote this psalm. It could have been when he was caught in horrible sin. And maybe maybe that sin was driving him to despair as he calls out in this psalm for rescue and for joy. It could have been while David was running from Saul and and his life was in danger. And in that moment, his fear was, was overcoming him and and he's calling out for a rescue. It it could be while he was king. And yet he looked around and saw everything he had and realized none of this satisfies. And he's looking for rescue. What we do know for sure as we read through this psalm is that he's he's trapped, he needs rescue, and he cries out. Look at verse one. He cries out, preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. He said, Preserve me, Lord, Lord, keep me safe. The picture of this word preserve is, is that you're, you're going to some, someone or something that's big enough to protect you from whatever is threatening you. And he's saying, God, I need protection. He's in, he's in a desperate need here. He, he's lost hope, he's lost security, and he, he's calling out to God. And yet, yet from verse one to verse 11, he moves from crying out, rescue me, to saying, I have joy forevermore. How does he do that? How does he go from verse one to verse 11? More importantly, how can you and I do that? How how can we go from verse one to verse 11? You see right away, pretty quickly in verse one, he says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. His prayer really quickly becomes this, this declaration of truth. He cries out, preserve me, but then he says, for you're my refuge, you're my shelter, you're my protection, you're the one I can run into. I mean, David sees that God has moved heaven and earth for us. That Christ came so that we could come face to face with God and not see judgment any longer, not see wrath, not see anger. Jesus took all that on himself so that we could see grace and joy and hope and purpose. I think we often get this idea that the Christian life is a life of drudgery and duty, but we get heaven in the end, so I guess it kind of pays off and... Listen, we've been rescued to a new kingdom filled with the presence of God, which means it's the presence of joy. You see it all through scripture. Luke 12 says that, that it was God's pleasure to give us his kingdom. A joyful king said, I'm giving you a kingdom. Job 38 says that God and the angels, they sang together and shouted for joy when he created the universe. It's a joyful King. I love in Luke 15, Luke 15 says there's there's more rejoicing before the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, catch, Catch that verse. I think sometimes we misquote that. We say that the angels in heaven are rejoicing when a sinner repents. No, it says before the angels there's rejoicing. Who's doing the rejoicing? It's God. It's God the king dancing and singing over sinners that repent because he's a God of joy. To come face to face with God, our King, is to come face to face with joy. It's how we live our lives in this kingdom. I I was even thinking of of Nehemiah as he was trying to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. They'd they'd all fallen down. He's rebuilding them back up and he's trying to encourage the people to join the work of rebuilding the walls. And and he could have used guilt. He could have used shame. But what did he choose to use? He said, do this for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We can't live the Christian life. Listen, we won't be able to accomplish what God's called us to be as a church. We won't be able to see neighborhoods renewed by the gospel. We won't be able to see mercy and justice come to Muskoka and Perry Sound if it's all about guilt and shame and drudgery and duty. And, but, but if the joy of the Lord is our strength, imagine what God could do. Imagine what God would accomplish when the joy of the Lord is our strength. But here's the problem. The problem isn't just that we break God's laws. The problem is that we've, we've actually polluted the fountain of joy that he's provided for us. In Jeremiah, the, through the prophet Jeremiah, God says this. He says that, that I'm a cistern. I, I'm, a, I'm a pool. I'm a, a huge well of water, a well of joy for you, life-giving joy. And the problem is not that you broke God's to-do list. He says the abomination. That's a, that's a big word for sin. The horrible abomination is that you've dug your own wells and they don't hold water. There's no joy in them. God's saying, I'm a fountain of joy, but because of your sinful hearts, you keep running after empty hopes. We leave the Garden of Eden. and say, I'm going to go into the wilderness. Maybe that's where my hope is found. God's like, no, no, here's your joy. It's, it's, it's with me. God's saying, I, I, I'm like a thousand dollar bottle of wine and, and you just want to go sip light beer. Like, what, what's, what's that? I, I'm, a, I'm a, a steak dinner, but you want to go through the Taco Bell drive-thru all the time. No, your joy is found here, not there. Why would we choose that cheap plastic joy when God says, I have joy forevermore? Listen, hear it again. The problem is not that we seek pleasure. The problem is not that we seek happiness. It's that we seek it in the wrong places. And God's a God of joy. Why would we stay away from a God like that? Why, why would we ignore a God like that? Why would we ignore His Word? Why would we ignore His worship? Why, why would we continue to look to other things to choose things that don't fulfill? We have to fight for this joy. Look, look again at verse one. David says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. He's in this storm here. He's, there's, there's stress and strife in his life. You don't call out for rescue when things are good. And listen, listen I know in a room this size, and I know because we're walking together, a lot of us in this, there are people in this room right now, and you right now are in a storm. And it's like class five hurricane, like I need rescue today. You're in situations that could could throw your heart into, into prisons of fear or anger or bitterness or despair or confusion or questioning. And it's in this moment where the question is this, where's your refuge? David sees God as his only hope for rescue. Verse two, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He's saying, God, God, rescue me. You're my refuge. You're my Lord. I have nothing good apart from you. What's he saying? It's like David goes from crying out for help to now he's preaching. He's preaching to himself. Now, why is he doing that? I think this, because nobody talks to you more than you talk to you. You just think about what's going on in your head. No one speaks to you more than you speak to you. And so David says, you know what? I'm gonna interrupt that voice. I am going to interrupt that voice that, listen, so often lies to me. A voice that often lies about yourself, it lies about God. And David says this, I'm not gonna sinfully believe those lies any longer. I'm gonna repent. I, I'm gonna turn from those lies and I'm gonna return to the truth of who God is. I mean, that's the first place David goes to seek this res- rescue, to, to find that joy is he, he begins to speak the truth of who God is in his life. And he actually uses three different names for God. He says, preserve me, O God. That word there in the Hebrew is L, E-L. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, see they're all capitals, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. In the Old Testament, every time you come across the word Lord that's all capitalized, it's because that's the name of Yahweh, which is the name God said, this is the name I'm giving to you as my people. This is my personal name for you, Yahweh. And then he says, you are my Lord, just capital L, but small O-R-D. That's Adonai. So what's he saying? He's saying, God, you are my God, L, You're the mighty, strong God. You're, you're my Yahweh. You're my personal, close, promise-keeping God who, who never leaves his people. He says, but you're also my Adonai. You're my master. You're the one in control. You are the king. What's David saying? He's saying, God, you're in control here. You know more about the world than I do. There's a humility as he calls out to God. And he says, God, I'm going to find rest in your sovereign care. I'm going to find joy in knowing you're God and I'm not. I'm going to hide my heart when the world looks horrible. I'm going to hide my heart in your character. So, So really what I'm saying is this, the start of this joy, this deep joy comes when we learn to speak the character of God into our situations rather than challenge the character of God with our situations. Did you catch that? You're speaking the truth of God's character into the situation that you find yourself in, into that storm, rather than letting the storm begin to challenge the character of God. David says, God, you're my king. You're the king of this kingdom. You're my my hope and my joy. Truth about God. Verse three, he then says this, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. It's pretty interesting that David, in the midst of this psalm, he's calling out to God, you're my only hope. And now all of a sudden he throws in this thing about people around him, about, about others in this kingdom, about community. And what's going on there? I mean, there's two ways to fall off on either side of this this hope he has in community. One way is to fall off and desperately need community so much that it becomes your refuge. And David's gonna throw that one under the bus in a little bit. He's going to say, that's not where we get our hope. The other side, though, of falling on this is you fall off on the other side into isolation. And we're gonna pull out. David's like, I I love God's people. I I don't wanna hide out. Now listen, I get it. People are tough, especially when you're going through tough times. And and sometimes it's so much easier just to hide. It's so much easier just to smile and fake it in church, right? It's it's easier to, to come in late and then sneak out early just so I don't have to meet anybody, just so I don't have to. And Dave's going, no, no, no. There's a joy when we do this together, when we call out to God together. Listen, we don't gather in small groups or we we don't gather together on Sundays like this. We we don't get together during the week for coffee or over to people's houses because we're we're seeking for some sort of horizontal hope with each other. We do it, why? To point each other to where we have our hope. What's a good community? A good community is when we get together and we point to where our hope is. Do you have people in your life like that? Do you have relationships that are pointing you to verses one and two? Do you have people in your life that are pointing you to verse 11? I mean, sometimes that happens with a, with a hug, with, with tears being shared. I know for me, a lot of times, it happens with a kick in the butt and a reorienting of my heart, right? Hey, man, what are you doing? Hey, hey, don't look there. Look here for your hope. I mean, are you known? Do people know you? On the flip side, are you noticing other people? are you engaging with people i think so often we we miss people i think so often in the crisis we're so tempted to draw more and more and more and more inward into our, our crisis and and david's going no 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 i don't want to do that i want to still be in community I, I want to delight in god's people and and have them point me to my hope i think so often though we miss seeing people don't we I was just reading speeches by uh, Martin Luther King this week as they they come to the, you know, this is the anniversary of his his assassination. And and in his speech, he was saying this, that we, we can arrange and organize our lives and our culture and our schedules in order to avoid seeing people in need. He's saying we build interstates around poor neighborhoods so we don't have to drive through them any longer. Listen, we need to see the broken people in our community. We need to see the broken people right here that are sitting around us. David says it was his delight. Now, I love in the book of Hebrews when it says, when you show hospitality to strangers, sometimes as you show hospitality to those strangers, you're actually entertaining angels in disguise. Listen, I don't know specifically what that means, but that sounds awesome. Does it not? You could be, you'd be showing hospitality to angels. So listen, listen, here's what I'm saying here. We need Community. It's why we say as a church we're about worship, community, and mission. Why? Because community is important. So so if you're here just checking us out, if you're like, no, I'm just kind of kicking the tires on this church, I came on Easter, I'm going to come again, I want to see what this is all about, then here's what I hope. I hope that you find a place where you're loved, where you're embraced, where you're brought into community. But listen, if you call Harvest home, if this is your church, then I pray that you would see this as your home that you're hosting People into. I mean, think about it. Think about if if people came to your house, how would you act as the host? If it's your home and people are coming to your home, what would you do? Well, I would come in really late and I wouldn't talk to anybody, and then I would just run out as quick as I could. We wouldn't do that, right? No, we would get there early. We we would we want to welcome people. We'd want to introduce ourselves, and we want to say, "Hey, let me help you out. Where where are you? What do you need to see? How can I point to what's going on in my house?" That's what we would do, right? May we be hosts here at Harvest. Scripture calls us to delight in people. Now, now, the other side of this coin, the other side of isolating ourselves from community, the other side is grabbing a hold of people and, and clinging to people as our hope. Now, David quickly lays out here in these next verses that, that our hope is only in God. It's, it's nowhere else. It's not in any other kingdom. It's not in any other king. He says in verse two, I, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He's saying there's, there's no other place I can find this hope. Not in my reputation, not in my good works, not, not in the things that I provide, not in my serving, not in my integrity. He says, I don't have any good apart from God, my king. And then verse four, he goes on. He says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or, their name, or take their names on my lips. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, he said, I've run to other places for this hope. I see other people running around seeking joy and fulfillment. He says, but rather than running, you see, see the difference there? He says, rather than running after another God, rest in God's kingdom. Rather than running frantically going, where can I get get my hope here? Can I find my joy here? He says there's a kingdom that's secure. So what does that mean? It means this. If you don't know Jesus this morning, this is your starting point. You say, I'm done looking everywhere else. I want to repent of that. I want to turn from seeking my joy and fulfillment in these things that just don't supply, and I'm going to turn and find my hope and my joy in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's the beginning of a journey in the new kingdom. Listen, if you're a Christ follower this morning, that's where we stay. That's life for us as well. We keep running back to that same truth. We find our hope and our joy in Christ alone. So, so what's David saying? In order to do that, you need to recognize the places you go that are, that are false kingdoms. The, the kings that we serve that aren't Jesus and David says, God is a secure. He, he's, he's a refuge. In, in him, we're not shaken. Every other hope that we try to put our lives in is faulty. Every other hope is, is a falling down kingdom. Now, now, we think they're big and strong. We think we're the, they're the place to run to. We think that king we cling to, this is the king that's gonna save me and, and they become kind of our functional savior. Like this is my Jesus right now. This is my hope that it becomes our king and, and I don't know what it is for you, but, but it could be your stuff. Maybe it's your stuff. If, if I have more stuff, if I have the next new thing, then I feel good. For some, it's a substance. I just need a little bit of something to take the edge off. For some, it's a person. Uh, the relationship that you wished you had, man, if I only had this, then I would be okay. Or, or or, it's a relationship you're in right now and you put the weight of your soul on that person. Say, they're my hope. Listen, they can't be your hope. I, I love my wife to death. She, she's my best friend in life and, and, and yet I can't put my hope on her. She, she's going to disappoint me. I will disappoint her for sure. But listen, listen, even if God was gracious to give me a perfect marriage from now for, for my entire life, and we just remain in this sweet spot of just loving each other, there still will come a day when one of us is wearing black and the other one is being put into the ground. It can't be my hope. It can't be my ultimate joy. David's saying, when, when we go after the gifts rather than the giver. It becomes a kingdom that's faulty. He says, it's only going to lead to more sorrow. What is it for you? What do you find yourself running to? For for some, it might be health. it It might be your work. It might be image. It might be comfort. It might be entertainment. It might be control. And, and then when we hold on to those things and they come crashing down, it's, it's this tragedy around us because we're putting our hope in something that was never meant to hold us up. But I think even more tragic can be when, when it doesn't crash, when it's actually successful for a time, when, when we hold on to that little kingdom that we've got and we get to the end of our life and realize this was futile. You think of David's son who wrote this psalm, his son Solomon. He had everything that this world could offer. He, he went after everything that this world would tell us, this is where you find your joy. And he had all of it, as much as he wanted. He went after sex, money, power, and he had a ton of it all. And he gets to the end of his life and he writes Ecclesiastes where he says, it was all like chasing after the wind. It didn't mean anything. So this morning, where are you searching for your hope and joy? What have you put your hope in? what's What's your kingdom that you're hiding in this morning? I've said it this way before. if If you kind of look at your life like a train, and and the the engine of the train is your hope. It's what you put your hope in. It's your trust. And then then behind that engine will come your your feelings and and your reactions. and and behind that will come your your actions, things that you do. and and so so when you look at your life, you're like, man, I'm just filled with this these feelings of fear and anxiousness, Trace it up the train. T- take it to the engine. What track is the engine going on? Where is it directing you for your hope? If, if you find, man, I'm doing things I don't normally do, man, why am I doing this? Trace it up the train. Find out where is your hope. <clears throat> what are you putting your hope in? What are you putting your trust in? In the midst of the storm, where are you driving that train? What track is it on? Where is your hope? I mean, David said his trust is God. His joy is in God. Look at verse five. Verse five and six says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What's David saying? He's saying, all of my joy, God, 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 all of my joy is in your sovereign care as King." He says, you hold my lot. You, you hold what's going on in this life right now. Whether it's the, the struggle I'm in right now, the things I have, God, you hold it all and I'm gonna trust in you as my sovereign king. He says, the, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What's that mean? He says, the boundaries. The boundaries around me. The, the, the what you've got for me in life. The situation you have me in. The things you've given me. The, the kingdom that I have, that I live in. He goes, man, inside that is joy. It's a pleasant place. I have a beautiful inheritance. What's his inheritance? What's he talking about there? Well, how does I give him joy? His inheritance is God himself. He says, I've got the king. I have God in my life. He's my portion and my cup. In other words, if you come to the table, and there are hundreds of cups on the table filled with all different things of, of food and drink. And he looks over and he sees one is the Lord himself. He goes, that's it. That's my choice. I want that one. Nothing else satisfies, nothing else nourishes, nothing else sustains me like that. Not like Jesus does. He's my greatest good. He's my greatest treasure. And he's saying the lines he has for me, the boundaries around my life, I'm gonna trust in those. Thank you for this kingdom you've given me. Thank you for the boundaries you've put around me. Now you can only say that if, if you're trusting in his kingdom, not, not running outside of the boundaries for other kingdoms but it's the one who's trusting, saying, Lord, thank you for your word that hems me in. Thank you for for what you've given me in my life, that this is the best. You can see the difference in, and you look at someone's life who's just in in horrible circumstances. You look and go, man, there's this tragedy after tragedy in your life, and they're sitting with joy. Yeah, not laughing and not not, not kind of just making light of the situation, but there's a deep joy in them. Why? Because they're sitting within the boundaries that God has. I trust God in this. The, the difference between that and the person who maybe has everything and they're still pushing, pushing against the walls of the kingdom going, man, I, I gotta get more than this. There, there has to be more. I, I gotta push this out further. I, I don't trust that this is a good king setting these up around me. It's that person who cries out, not enough, God. I get that I get you, but I need more than this. Thanks for the Garden of Eden, but, but, but you're holding out on me. I need more. I need more than this. I need this. God, I'll, I'll be okay with what you give me here, but you need to push this wall out more because I also need this. And if I don't have this, I don't have joy. What false kingdoms are you running to? What what walls are you trying to push over rather than running to God for your refuge? What are you pressing against? How do we move from, from these other kingdoms, from serving these other kings? How, how do we move away from sacrificing an eternal inheritance for just a, a temporary plastic happiness instead of that deep joy? I would say this way. My, my kids in the summer love to collect salamanders. You ever do that, right? You're just flipping over logs and rocks, and you're, you're looking for the little salad, and they crab them, and, and they think, these things are great, I will love them forever. And so they put them in Tupperware, right? They put them in the little margin containers. They put little grass in there, and they put them in there, and they poke holes in the top, and they go, I will care for this thing. I will love this thing. And yet, what, what do kids normally do, right? You find other loves, <laughs> And it's summer, and you, you love biking more than you love hanging out with a salamander. You, you love going to the beach. You, you love playing video games. You love just hanging out with your friends. And so eventually, days will go by, and one of my daughters will be like, well, I wonder how Sammy the salamander's doing. And then they come to the little margarine tub sitting on the front porch in the sun for probably a week now and pop that thing open. And how's Sammy Salamander doing? They're dried up and dead, Right? Why is that? It's because another love drew them away and they no longer love this. Listen, your joy for the Lord when you pursue other things, the joy of the Lord begins to dry up in your heart. So how do you stop that? It's the exact thing in reverse. When you begin to see Christ as your treasure, it's not so much about what do I need to do to renounce all this sin. It's what do I need to grow in my love for my king so that I don't need to pursue this anymore where I see this as more valuable and God's kingdom as what is valuable. What David's calling us to here is to see that the refuge of joy is in God. In verse five, he says, he's my chosen portion, of my cup. Like I'm gonna rest in his sovereign care. That's better than anything else life has for me. Verse 6, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my joy is in this gift of salvation, this inheritance that I have. Look at verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Who gives me counsel in the night and also my heart instructs me. What's he saying? He goes, man, I love the counsel of the Lord. I, I love his word. I love what his spirit speaks to me. I, I love that more than anything else. I'm pursuing that more. Verse eight, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He goes, man, I just trust the Lord's faithless. I love that more than anything else. I think John Piper says it best when he says it this way. He says, I know of no other way to triumph over sin long-term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in God. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying, I I know of no other way of of getting a long-term triumph over sin than than to to stop loving it because I have something else I love more. And eventually, the the, the train that used to drive on that track that would take your hope to the places where you know don't provide joy, eventually that that, that trail dries up. Why? Because you have a love for something greater. Jonathan Edwards, he was uh, attacked by a, by a bunch of people in his church. He was a pastor, and and in in a horrible time in his life, it was was just being attacked by everybody. One of his friends said this about Jonathan Edwards. He said, I never saw the least symptoms of displeasure in his countenance. But he appeared like a man of God, who, who, listen, whose happiness was out of reach of his enemies, whose treasure was not only a future, but a present good. His joy was out of reach of his enemies. His his joy was now even. His joy was unshakable. Now, I want that kind of joy. I want it for me. I want it for us as a church. Because here's the result of putting our hope and our love in that. Look at verse 9. David says, therefore. So because I see God for who he is, because I see these other kingdoms and kings as useless and leading to sorrow, because I see Christ as my ultimate treasure, he says, therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption. Verse 11, you've made known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How could David actually believe this? What is it that drives David? How how could he believe that God, you're my safest refuge? Jesus, you're the greatest king. You're the supreme treasure. Well, hear the gospel in those verses. Verse 10 says, you'll not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy one see corruption. There's gospel in there. Because here's the thing, David did die. So how could he say that? I'm I'm not gonna see corruption. I'm not gonna die. How could he say that? Because he knew what the prophet Nathan has said about him, that David, when you die, another king is coming who will be an eternal king. It's why these verses are quoted by Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. And they say this wasn't just about David. This was about Jesus, that Jesus would see corruption so we don't have to, that Jesus would be abandoned on the cross so we don't have to, that, that he would see deep, lasting sorrow so we didn't have to. Our our joy is securely rooted in the truth that it's about Jesus. So in the midst of your storms, even right now, where's your refuge? What fear right now just occupies your heart? What, What storm holds your attention? And where do you run? We know from this text that It's in the presence of God that there's fullness of joy. That that we can see God face to face. How? Because Jesus was abandoned for us. Because Jesus took the weight of our sin and these choices on himself so that now we could be face to face with God. We could have refuge. So again, this morning, where's your refuge? I know in church we can say the easy answer pretty quick. Well, my refuge is Jesus. Jesus. But, but truly is, is Jesus your safest refuge? Is He the greatest king in your life? Is He your ultimate treasure? Are you running to something else this morning? This morning, as the worst team comes up, here's the question I would ask: What is it that you're running to? What do you need to repent of this morning? I use that word repent for a couple of reasons. One, because repentance lets us understand that it's actually sin. I think sometimes in Christian world, we we, we, we love grace, man. I love grace, but we can sometimes minimize sin. we, We say that fear I have, it's just kind of a fear. No, it's actually sin, it's distrusting of God. And so, so we come to that place of repentance and, and some of this, listen, it's difficult. The, the train, the, the hope that you had have run that track for so long, it's become a stronghold. What's a stronghold? It's lies believed over a long period of time that become difficult for us to not believe. They become patterns in our life and that train has run that track so long. You put your hope and your trust so much in that. It's gonna be a work of God's spirit in you as you bring that sin the other kingdoms you've run to. The other kings you put your trust in. I mean, what are those for you this morning? And what's it look like for you to repent? You know, I also say repent not just because it's sin, but because of what repentance really means. It means to turn from. It, mean, it means to stop going in one direction and go in another. It means to take that train, that hope that's been going in that one direction and say, that's not where I'm gonna put my hope any longer. So this morning, where do you need to turn around? Where do you need to surrender this morning? What do you need to let go of this morning? That thing you said, I I can only have joy if. The places you've run to, the things you put your hope in that are not the gospel, what are those this morning? This morning, take, take some time to to surrender those, to, to release those, say, Lord, I'm not holding these any longer. These lead to unending sorrow, says, David says, but you would release them this morning. Say, Lord, I want to give these to you, and I want to pursue, pursue you as my refuge. You're my greatest king. You're my ultimate treasure above all these things, that, that this morning we would see Jesus we would see his word, we, we would see his work, we, we would see his worthiness that this morning that we would wrestle our hearts towards this truth, that we, we wouldn't be deceived, as Jeremiah says, to pursue after false kingdoms. We wouldn't be lulled by sin to just keep going in that direction. But, but right now, we would begin to starve that out by pursuing a greater love. I'm no longer just gonna pursue what's got me to this place of hopelessness. I'm gonna put my hope in Christ my King. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that we have hope in you. That you are a safe, rest, a safe place to be rescued. That you are the great king. That you are the ultimate treasure. And then we can put our hope in you this morning. I I pray that that even now, God, we'd be releasing those things we've been grabbing a hold of, those kings we've been holding on to, thinking they're gonna bring us hope, those kingdoms we've run into that, that don't provide hope. God, that even now you would give us a distaste for those because we have a greater love for you. Because we see you for who you are and that in your presence is joy forevermore. A fullness of joy.